Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Rehumanized Podcast. Hello, everyone. I am Herb Garrity, back with another episode of the Rehumanize podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Michael New. Dr. New, please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael New. I am a research associate here at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America. Uh, I teach classes here on topics that include economics and political science. I'm also an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, the research and education arm of the Susan B. Anthony List. Great. And so a lot of the work that Dr. New does um, that I really appreciate, and I suggest that you all read all of his articles that get published um, everywhere, uh, deals with specifically uh, polling, statistics, um, and really the nitty gritty of what effects policy has. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I think at Rehumanize, we tend to be very ideological. I think that a lot of my work tends to be, you know, convincing someone that abortion is wrong. Um, And then sometimes I get to a point where I don't know where to go from that. You know, well, so what does that mean? What policies do we need to put in place to deal with that issue, deal with the fact that abortion is killing a human being? How do we, you know, make strategic choices as a movement to limit the number of abortions um, and to eventually abolish abortion. And I think that Dr. New, um, his experience will uh, be really important for people to hear to know that, you know, there's a step after the ideology. You don't just think that abortion's bad and then it's over. We need to do something about it. Right. The, essentially, what a lot of my research shows is that a lot of the things that you know pro-lifers have been working on, you know, have been very quietly effective. I mean, there is kind of a nice body of research showing that a variety of incremental pro-life laws, uh, whether they be uh, limits on Medicaid funding for abortion, whether they be parental involvement laws, whether they be properly designed informed consent laws, uh, that they have an impact. So that's one thing. Another thing is that even when you look at data worldwide, uh, we do know with good research that. Uh, uh, the instance of abortion is sensitive to its legal status. You know, very often groups come up with these studies and they claim that, well, it doesn't matter whether abortion is legal or illegal, the abortion rate seems to be kind of the same. But the problem with these studies is that in countries where abortion is illegal, these are often countries in South America or the Middle East or Africa that tend to have high poverty rates and other social pathologies that may increase the demand for abortion. So you really can't make good comparisons. When you look at countries of actually changed their policy, there you see uh, the real impact of these laws. You know, Ireland uh, tragically decided to liberalize their abortion law. They saw abortion numbers increase. Probably the best study on this topic came out in 2004 and looked at countries in Eastern Europe. And after the fall of communism, a number of Eastern European countries changed their policy. Uh, Poland uh, put some protective pro-life laws in place. They saw their abortion numbers fall. Romania, abortion was largely illegal there. Uh, They legalized abortion. abortion 
abortion numbers went up. So we do know that you know the goal of pro-lifers to put legal limits on abortion, protect unborn children. You know these things do have a real impact. It is the right strategy for pro-lifers to follow. Another thing I also see myself doing with this writing and research is I'm trying to give people hope. You know I'm usually very quick to run to Twitter anytime an election doesn't necessarily go our way, anytime there's a Supreme Court ruling we didn't like, to let people know that look, you know we're not promised a smooth, clear trajectory to victory. There will be setbacks and there will be disappointments, but we're doing a lot of good in the long term. The one statistic I tell every pro-life group that will have me speak is that we have succeeded in getting the abortion rate down by more than 50% since 1980. And I think that's actually a lot more important than a lot of people realize, even a lot of pro-lifers. And one story I often tell is suppose that it's 1980. I get into a time machine and I'm talking to pro-life leaders back in 1980. And uh, on the table is Nellie Gray and Joe Scheidler and Jack Wilkie and Mildred Faye Jefferson. And I go, listen guys, or listen ladies and gentlemen, I've seen 2020 and sadly, we've not overturned Roe v. Wade. And to be honest, public policy regarding abortion has not changed that much. But we got the abortion rate down by more than 50%. They would probably think I was crazy. But that's what did happen. So we have succeeded in getting uh, abortion numbers down. And what's also important is why the numbers are falling. And an important reason why numbers are falling is because a higher percentage of unintended pregnancies are being carried to term. You know, typically when you know abortion statistics come out and numbers fall, the media quotes somebody from Guttmacher who says, oh, it's just contraception. Well, when you look at the long-term trends, it is true that contraception use has gone up, but you don't see a consistent decline in the unintended pregnancy rate. You see fluctuations. So if it was really contraception driving these declines, you'd see a steady decline in the unintended pregnancy rate, which you really don't see. Uh, we do, on the other hand, see a consistent increase in the percentage of unintended pregnancies carried to term. So I always mention that statistic because I think that if more pregnancies are being carried to term, it's because of things pro-lifers are doing. We're either passing protective pro-life laws and stopping abortion that way, we're just changing hearts and minds, convincing women, and we're stopping abortion that way, or we're doing a better job taking care of women through pregnancy help centers. And we actually have a lot more pregnancy help centers today than we did probably some you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, or it's some combination of these things. So it's either you know, legislation, service, education, all things that pro-lifers have been working on very hard during the past 40 years. Yeah, thank you. I wanna I wanna revisit the point you made uh, a minute ago about the um, sort of comparing countries with different uh, different levels of abortion restrictions, and I think that's so important because a, a meme that you see all the time is that that idea that you know banning abortion doesn't stop abortion; yeah. it just stops safe abortions. Um, and for listeners, um, I did use air quotes when I said safe abortion because there is no safe abortion. There's no safe way to kill a human being. However, um, you, you know, I understand what they're saying. They're saying it, it doesn't decrease abortions, it just decreases legal abortions. Um, and, you know, I think for me, uh, before I sort of got real deep in the pro-life movement, that was really concerning to me. Like, oh, well, who cares if Roe v. Wade's overturned then? Um, and something that I've come to realize through my work with, um, with other activists, and especially within other um, sort of social justice movements that I'm a part of that sort of putting the issue aside of whether or not um, criminalizing something, banning something is going to decrease it or end it doesn't mean that it should be illegal. You know, even if, you know, whether or not, um, you know, 
domestic violence or any kind of assault, um, if those rates happened, whether or not it was legal or illegal, it should still be illegal to beat your wife. You know, who who cares? Women should still should have rights. You know, slavery should be illegal, um, even if a lot of people are gonna. You know, there's there's human trafficking today. There's labor trafficking today. Slavery should still be illegal because people are not property. Um, and so for me, I think even if that 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 myth was true that banning abortion doesn't reduce abortion, we should still ban abortion because it shouldn't be legal to kill human beings. There should be no group of people that, you know, just don't have human rights in our society. But the good news is the evidence suggests that banning abortion and restricting abortion, and especially these common sense incremental uh, restrictions that we have in a lot of states, um, including parental involvement laws, um, you know, informed consent, things like that, waiting periods, they do decrease the abortion rate. Um, and so I think that's really important uh, for people to see and for people to, to go look up. Google Dr. New's name um, and you'll find all of, he cites his source as well. Um, but it's definitely, you know, you, we need to respond to that because both who cares if it's true you know we want the abortion rate to decrease um, but we also want the law to reflect reality that every human being deserves the right to life um, but we should we should contradict that when we see it when we see those memes I think no I agree that you know one thing I've noticed I've been probably doing pro-life work since probably 1993 since I entered college and I've noticed I think we've made some gains in the court of public opinion since that time I know college campuses are a lot different now I know when I was a student in the mid 90s if you were pro-life for lack of a better word that was just really weird it was a very <laughs> option for somebody to have now on college campuses I wouldn't say it's popular but it's a lot more mainstream people yeah. at least see that pro-lifers are people of goodwill and I have conversations that often begin with, look, I can see why you think the way you do. Even if they don't agree, they do think the pro-life argument you know, has merit and you know, is worth engaging in, in a thoughtful way. I wouldn't necessarily say that you know, 25 years ago, uh, or at least for a lot of people, uh, when I was in college. But one thing I've noticed is that we made some gains in the court of public opinion. The other side is kind of changed their tactic a little bit. They don't just like to argue that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. They don't like to argue that we're ineffective. All right. I think that you know, as ultrasound technology has developed, as people can see pictures of you know sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters in utero, they've had to kind of change their tactics a bit. So very often they just try to say, look, you know, your concern for unborn children is wonderful, but you know, if you really care about protecting unborn children, you should support spending money on welfare, mm-hmm. or you should support spending money on health care, or you should support more spending on contraception programs. And to some people, that sounds persuasive. There are people who are frankly frustrated. Forty-seven years later, we've not overturned. Roe v. Wade, and they may want to be curious about trying some uh, different strategies. But there is research on this, and you know we can kind of look at the studies, and there really is no research out there showing that spending more money on welfare gets abortion numbers down. There's not a peer-reviewed study that shows spending more money on health care gets abortion numbers down. There's really no studies out there that investing more in these federal contraception programs gets abortion numbers down. Now, some of these are important issues. You know, we should care about poor people. We should, you know, want people to, uh, we should, you know, Think about creative ways to you know, help people in need. I'm not saying we simply you know ignore these issues, yeah. but I'm just saying they're really not a substitute for passing pro-life laws. Mm-hmm. There's no real track record that spending money on welfare, health care, or contraception gets abortion numbers done. But on the contrary, there is a pretty substantial track record that passing different kinds of pro-life laws and actually protecting unborn children is an effective strategy for lowering abortion rates. 
Yeah, I find that that argument very interesting. Um, as someone who, uh, you know, my personal beliefs are that healthcare is a human right, and you know, the state should be providing for people who uh, who, who need it in, in some way. Um, and so when I hear arguments like that, I, I sort of want to agree with them. You know, I want to say like, yeah, pro-lifers should care about that, even though I know that there's, you know, a lot of a lot of disagreement and a lot of good reasons to oppose a lot of different social welfare uh, programs. However, um, I find it weird when people use that argument because it's it's sort of advocating for what I see as like a trickle-down safety net, this idea that if we just provide everything that a pregnant person could possibly need, then they're not going to eventually get an abortion. And so it's like, if we give healthcare to the mother, to the parent, then hopefully they'll make the right decision for their child. And, you know, for me, I sort of, you know, I don't support welfare, welfare or, you know, access to quality healthcare because I'm afraid that women are like holding their children hostage. Um, I think that, you know, we do need to create a society where that is more open to life, that is more, um, that it's it's better able to, it's easier to choose life um, during, you know, illegal abortion uh, as opposed to the current system that I think, you know, we could set things up better for, for people experiencing unintended pregnancies. But I don't think that there's any evidence to suggest, and you've looked into it more than I have, that those things lead to one another, right? It's not like we just pump more money into people's hands and then they don't want abortions anymore. Um, certainly, you know, finances are often um, cited for why people choose abortion, but that doesn't necessarily correlate to, okay, we need single-payer health care right now. Um, but it also doesn't mean that we shouldn't have, you know, these programs. It's just kind of, it's a non sequitur. Um, another, uh, you know, misconception, another meme that you see, especially now that the election is coming up, um, that I'm seeing a lot is this idea that uh, electing, you know, pro-abortion or pro-choice Democrats, um, makes the abortion numbers fall like that you know abortions fell under Clinton and, and things like that um, and I think that one is also persuasive I think that one I see and I'm like oh no do I have to do I have to vote for pro-abortion Democrats um, and I think a lot of you know supporters of rehumanize might see a meme like that and say well does that mean I have to vote for pro-abortion Democrats um, so Dr. New do I need to vote for pro-abortion Democrats absolutely not okay good uh, those memes <laughs> are very misleading and there's some different memes out out there, I've seen circulating, and there are some nuances amongst them. Uh, but let me just, I think, go over, I think, some of the common flaws in these memes. Uh, number one, most of these memes ignore the fact that we elected 1976 Jimmy Carter to the White House. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter was a Democrat. The abortion rate went up between 1977 and 1981. The memes never include that. That's a kind of an inconvenient fact right there. Uh, number two, uh, another kind of a problem with a lot of these memes is the fact that a lot of them get their data from the CDC. And the CDC does not report data from all 50 states. So during the Clinton years, 
California quit reporting. I think 1997 was the last year that California reported data to the CDC. So when you lose a state that's about 10% of your population and a state that has an above average abortion rate, sure, the report numbers go down, not because they actually you know went down, but because one of the a big state quit reporting. So that makes some of the Clinton data uh, suspect. Uh, another third, another problem is a lot of these uh, memes look at total abortions instead of the abortion rate. Uh, that's a problem because sometimes the number of abortions can go up because of just fluctuations in population. So during the Reagan years, uh, the abortion rate actually went down. Uh, however, the number of abortions went up. And the reason why was because there was just an increase in the population of women of childbearing age. There were more women aged you know, 15 to 44 in 1989 than there were in 1981. So even though the rate fell, uh, the numbers went up. So again, that's another reason why these memes are misleading. Another thing I'd also add is that what has a larger impact on the instance of abortion usually is not what goes on at the federal government, but what's happening in state governments. Mm-hmm. So essentially, in both during the both the Clinton and Obama years, you did see Republicans make big gains in the state legislatures in both of those presidential administrations. That I think in like 1992, Republicans controlled maybe six or seven, or controlled both chambers of the state legislature in like maybe six or seven states. Uh, then 1994, I mean, it's well-known Republicans took control of Congress and took control of House and the Senate. But Republicans made big gains in a lot of state legislatures as well. And that made it possible to pass a lot more pro-life laws. And a lot of these laws actually were upheld uh, because of the Casey decision in 1992. And Casey was a setback and a disappointment because uh, you know people thought the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and they did not. But there was a silver lining. They did uphold much of the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act. They did uphold the parental involvement law, the informed consent law, the waiting period. So you saw a lot of states take advantage of that in the 90s. That helped get abortion rates down. So in 2010, Republicans again made big gains uh, in many state legislatures. And again, that did you know make it easier to pass pro-life laws. In 2010, you know, you really saw, and afterwards, you saw Republicans make big gains in a lot of states in the Deep South. And they've been uh, very kind of aggressive in their efforts to pass protective laws. So you saw kind of big Republican gains in state legislatures, both during the Clinton years and the Obama years. That's contributed to these abortion rate declines. So it really wasn't because of anything that President Clinton or President Obama did. It's just I think these memes are misleading for you know all the reasons I just, just described. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. And we need to fit all of that into a meme, though, so that I can just reply on Twitter. Um, although you have written a, a couple great articles about that. Uh, yep, that I've written something for live action. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, Predicted also looked at this claim. And uh, it was very frustrating reading Predicted that mm-hmm. they rated it half true. But the problem with Predicted is the only two people they spoke to were people who support legal abortion. Mm-hmm. And they did kind of hedge around saying, well, CDC data is not real reliable. And, you know, they didn't really, you know, go after it and say that, you know, this is just exceptionally misleading. So, you know, the problem with predicting some of these other fact checkers is that you think if you're going to do a fact check on abortion trends, maybe you should talk to somebody who's pro-life. Yeah. It's not the craziest idea, but predicted, you know, I forget who they talked to, but I just remember both the people they interviewed were uh both either you know, both represented a group that supported legal abortion, and again, I will write something about that. Hopefully, we'll get it placed in time for the podcast, and we can we can circulate. Great, yeah, we'll we'll link to it if it's there. Um, yeah, I think that for me, I am not a policy person. Like, I am open about the fact that I don't 
I don't understand a lot of it. Um, and so I sort of rely on people like Dr. New to, to run the numbers and explain it to me a lot of the time. Um, because I think I am someone who very desperately just wants to ban abortion. I want all, uh, all killing of human beings to be illegal. Um, obviously, I also want it to be unthinkable and I want it to be um, unnecessary because, you know, for a lot of people it's perceived as, as necessary. Um, but I, I sort of feel myself sometimes getting frustrated when I see, you know, you know, we're fighting over, you know, a 20 week ban. Like, who cares? 20 weeks? Are you kidding? There's so many people before 20 weeks that we need to worry about. Or, you know, these these waiting periods where I just feel like. Oh my! So it's legal to kill someone as long as you think about it for 24 hours. And I think for a lot of pro-lifers, especially a lot of young pro-lifers who um, have not been in the movement for very long, we see these things. And it's like, why are we not asking for something more? Um, you know, why are we not? Why are we not demanding abolition now? Um, it is a, is you know a growing sentiment um, that I don't necessarily disagree with, but I do think it's important to look at the results um, and to see oh well that made the abortion numbers go down and you know that's not that's not the ultimate goal to be at 50% of what we were in 1980 but you know that's lives saved no absolutely and I mean I think that you know obviously there could be good legitimate differences of opinion about how I proceed mm -hmm. you know the Supreme Court's obviously an obstacle uh, though obviously there's I'm not a lawyer but there are legal experts that are out there trying to identify laws and craft cases that the Supreme Court justices might might find persuasive uh, the one thing I will tell people to keep in mind is that a lot of times even though the incremental laws may not excite some people and uh, they do serve an important educational role yeah uh, that a lot of people really don't know how permissive abortion policy is. Maybe people don't know you can get an abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy. Maybe people don't know that a minor girl in many states uh, can obtain an abortion without even telling her parents. So every time I think these laws are brought up, I do think that it has a, a positive impact. Yeah. You know, I was uh, really disappointed that Democrats this past election cycle more disappointed than usual because <laughs> none of them came out against, you know, none of them showed support for the Hyde Amendment. And I think that I wish somebody would have just to start that debate, start that argument. I was really kind of rooting for Tulsi Gabbard, who at one point was pro-life, to come out and say that, yes, I support Hyde. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't do that. So it can see if you look historically that, uh, you know, again, the partial birth abortion ban, uh, which we did get, which President Bush did sign and was upheld by the Supreme Court. I don't think the legal weight of the partial birth abortion ban has saved a lot of unborn children. In fact, to be honest, it may not have even saved any. But educationally, it was very valuable. We had pictures of, pictures of aborted children in newspapers, in magazines, on TV. This could not really be ignored anymore. Yeah. So I think, again, you did see public opinion shift when that issue was raised. And again, obviously, I wish we could do more faster. But you know, we are making progress. And uh, I think that, again, we're not promised a smooth trajectory to victory. <laughs> there will be setbacks. There will be disappointments. But we are doing some good. Yeah, you know, I just think it's important to keep up our efforts. Yeah, yeah, and I want to I want to bring us back to Hyde too because I agree. It's been so disappointing, especially with um, you know Biden's flip flopping on Hyde. Um, and actually, for the listeners, can you do a quick explanation of what the Hyde Amendment is? Sure. The Hyde Amendment dates back to 1976, and what the Hyde Amendment does, it places a limit on the ability of the federal government to fund elective abortions through the federal Medicaid program. That we had Roe v. Wade was handed down in 1973. I think a lot of pro-lifers realized that it was not likely the Supreme Court would overturn Roe v. Wade in the short term. 
but we thought we could do some things to protect some unborn children and protect the conscience rights of taxpayers. So we had a congressman, Henry Hyde, who introduced a bill uh, that would essentially limit the ability of the federal government to fund elective abortions uh, through the Medicaid program. And this Hyde Amendment is basically goes through the budget every year. It's an annual rider to the labor slash health and human services appropriations bill. So it has to be passed every year. And it has been passed every year since 1976. Now, unsurprisingly, it was challenged in court. It went back and forth through some legal challenges in the 70s. It wasn't always in effect throughout the 1970s. But in 1980, in Harris v. McRae, uh, Supreme Court upheld the Hyde Amendment. So they said, yes, abortion is legal, but no, you don't have to pay for it with your tax dollars. So uh, the federal government, by and large, has become out of the business of funding abortion through the Medicare program, or the Medicaid program, I should say. Uh, unfortunately, states can use their own Medicaid funding to uh, fund abortion, and about, depending on how you cut the numbers, 16, 17 states do that. Uh, but again, the Hyde Amendment, by getting the federal government out of the business of funding abortion, it has lowered abortion rates. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked about research. Uh, before. And again, when you look at research on sanctity of life issues, there's all kinds of disagreement. You know, pro-life researchers say one thing, researchers who support legal abortion say something else. When it comes to the high amendment, there's a lot of consensus. Even our opponents agree the high amendment has saved lives. I mean, Guttmacher did this big literature review back in 2009 that looked at a wide range of studies in economics, political science, public health. You know, they found the overwhelming number of studies found that high amendment did lower abortion rates. And they even evaluated the studies and said that the best studies with the best research design did show that, you know, in the absence of uh, publicly funded abortion, uh, some women who have chose abortion carry the pregnancies to term. So they were very clear that you know the high amendment has made a difference. And again, Guttmacher usually works very hard at downplaying the effectiveness of any kind of pro-life law. Center for Reproductive Rights did a study in 2010, or analysis, I should say. They said the high amendment saved over a million lives. And I did a study for the Lozier Institute in 2016. I updated my findings this summer, and we found the high amendment saved over 2.4 million lives. Wow. So people shouldn't you know, go around thinking that pro-life political involvement has all been for naught. Uh, there's 2.4 million women who've been spared a lifetime of regret, and 2.4 million people walking around today who owe their lives to the Hyde Amendment. Yeah. And by the way, you know, we're talking about low-income women and children yep. here, people who are relying on, on Medicare or Medicaid. And it's so it's so, so important to to keep that in mind when we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, they say repeal Hyde, be bold and Hyde as their campaign. Um, that you know the the government in my opinion you know as someone who believes that you know the government has a role in uh, helping people flourish that they that they should be you know paying for low income people poor women and uh, poor families to kill their children and it just completely gives a pass to help them you know we should be encouraging people to give birth if that's what they want to do and the fact that you know getting rid of medicaid funded abortions um, or at least many medicaid funded abortions has saved lives is proof that that matters that you know there are people here today that that wouldn't be here otherwise and i just think that's so important to remember when we see you know mainstream politicians now the party i think the democratic party wants to repeal hyde which is just so extreme it's it's out of touch it's you know i i i i don't know it's it's hard for me to even fathom that that is becoming a more mainstream political position um to have 
this, these taxpayer-funded abortions basically throughout all of pregnancy. I can't, they, you know, they they refuse to name any restrictions they're comfortable with, um, so we have to assume that none. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's so stark to, to see what we're up against sometimes. Um, and so that's why I appreciate your work that, you know, brings hope back to my life when I just become, you know, a doomer and I just don't want to, don't want to even bother working on the issue. Um, but it's worth it because, you know, there are people around, I think recently, um, you were there. I attended a rally with Secular Pro-Life um, you spoke at um, that had uh, several several speakers, um, and a few of which were people who either gave birth while on Medicaid, um, and so you know their children are here partially thanks to Hyde, and people who were born um, when their parents were on Medicaid and you know it helped uh, it, it paid for their birth, um, and you know it's like. These are real people. I, I think about that all the time with abortion. I think it's so easy to um, to sort of think of it as a debate, you know, to think of it as like another political issue, like how how what the tax brackets yep. look like. Um, when it's not, it's not like that, you know. I think if you're staring at the numbers all day, you can kind of forget that these are people. Like there, there are women alive right now because of these pro-life laws um, and, you know, children alive. And it's, it's just so important to come back to, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, you know, I agree that you can kind of become a bit desensitized. And at one point I kind of viewed abortion as like another issue mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, it was like cutting the capital gains tax or term limits or whatever the idea of the week was. And, you know, I just remember, uh, you know, again, I was at college at Dartmouth in the mid 1990s and, you know, I, abortion really was not on the radar screen for me at all when I was a high school student. I went to a Catholic high school. I remember 11th grade, I did see the movie The Silent Scream, uh, where, uh, which is produced by Dr. Bernard Nathanson, where you do see an ultrasound image of a child being aborted. And I remember watching the film, I remember just being disgusted by it, but at the time it just seemed like a lousy thing in a world full of lousy things, and I wasn't terribly motivated. And then I do remember uh, you know, Dartmouth, probably my freshman year, I would have been uncomfortable identifying as pro-life. And I remember going to Mass at some point my sophomore year, and I don't remember what the scripture readings were or what the priest talked about, but just somehow it just hit me that this is just a really important issue. It's not like the 20 other things you have an opinion about this week. You know, this is life and death and, you know, you should be doing something about it. And I approached my priest and I said, I want to start a pro-life group. And he uh, told me about another student doing the same thing. And I linked up with him and never, never looked back. Well, I'm happy that you did. I don't think I have I have anything else for you, Doctor New. Is there anything that you want to promote? Where where can we follow you? How can we how can we follow your work? Uh, best way to follow my work is you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Michael underscore J underscore new. So I do tweet out commentary analysis and blog posts about uh, pro-life issues. So I hope your listeners give me a follow. Uh, You can also friend me on Facebook. Uh, If you're involved in pro-life work, there's a very good chance that we have some mutual friends. So uh, you can uh, reach out to me on on Facebook. And if I can be of service to any listener doing pro-life work, I don't mind people emailing me. Uh, Not sure I want to get my email address on the podcast, (laughs) but if you just go to the CEA website, you can look up my email address. Uh, I don't mind I'm being prompted. Uh, again, I can't obviously solve everybody's problems overnight, <laughs> but if I can help you or your pro-life group in some way, uh, I'm happy to be of service. 
Yeah. Oh, and one more thing. If you are in the D.C. area and you want to get involved in sidewalk counseling, you should reach out to Dr. New. Yeah, definitely. If you're in the D.C. area or yeah. near the D.C. area or want to move to the D.C. area, <laughs> yeah, we always need more help. That um, yeah. you know, Essentially, I've been sidewalk counseling the D.C. Planned Parenthood for over two years now. Uh, I really want to get the sidewalk counseling ministry kind of built back up again. Uh, the D.C. Planned Parenthood used to be at the corner of 16th and L. It was close to the Farragut West and Farragut North Metro. Stops. I remember there were Saturdays. We used to have a lot of people, like 20 or 30 people would be there. And I moved to D.C. Uh, to start this new job at Catholic University of America. I'm getting settled in. I run some errands from Saturday. It's still early. I think to myself, yeah, I'll go to the Planned Parenthood, try to help out whatever pro-life folks are there. I just hope there's like two people there, or two people were pro-life who were there. And I was just really surprised. Like, where did everybody go? Yeah. And just some people didn't like the new location. Some folks moved away. I think Christians of College used to come, and they go to a clinic at Falls Church, which I understand. It's closer. So I really want to get the ministry built back up again. And, you know, we're not where we'd like to be just yet, but we have more people coming on Saturdays. We probably, on a typical Saturday, get about 10 people to come and spend part of their morning with us. So, again, you know, I really do encourage everyone to sidewalk console. If you are pro-life, I think it's one of the best things you can do. You know, this is where abortions, you know, are happening, you know, it may seem scary. It may seem intimidating. Uh, but it's very important work to do, and I encourage everyone to do it. And if you don't feel comfortable approaching abortion-minded women, just being a presence is more help than you probably realize. Uh, a lot of times, you know, sidewalk counselors are very thin on the ground on weekdays. If you come, we don't like to do this alone, and I don't really recommend people counseling alone. So if you come, that makes it possible for somebody else to come and offer life-affirming alternatives. And very often, saves and turnarounds occur when there's teamwork. You know, very often somebody knows something I don't know mm-hmm. or see something I don't see. One of my favorite stories of a save occurred probably about a year ago. Uh, there's a woman named Joan McKee who comes and she stands across the street from the Planned Parenthood and she prays. And she usually doesn't have a lot of interaction with people entering or exiting the clinic. So she's there praying and a car pulls up. And uh, you know they see her and they ask her about parking and they were on their way to Planned Parenthood and she starts a conversation with them Wow! and uh, she uses have literature on her so I see what's happening, I run across the street and I hand the woman inside the car some literature and she looked kind of distraught and said I already have five kids and I said I bet the sixth kid will be just as much fun as the first five <laughs> and she did laugh when I say that and then there's a nun, Sister Theotokos who likes to counsel with us, I she runs across the street and she sees a picture of the Virgin Mary in the car and starts talking about Mary and uh, we, again, everything was happening very quickly that the parent of the driver of the car was talking to somebody else but we got some information to her the car drove away and I don't think they ever came back we stayed there for like another hour and uh, I don't think we ever saw that car come back so I think there's a good chance it was a save that day and it was started by someone who was uh, not directly sidewalk counseling who was there to offer prayer support so and I have other stories like that where someone notices someone crying in a car and we approach them and offer some alternatives so eyes and ears outside abortion clinics are always welcome and if again you don't feel comfortable counseling just come to the clinic anyway. Yeah. If you're religious, pray. If you're not, just offer support and uh, get, you're, you're going to do a lot more good than you might realize. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, if if you didn't think that Dr. New did enough pro-life work, he's also constantly out on the sidewalks um, reaching out to, to people going in clinics. Um, and I, I completely echo that. It's, it's such an important thing to do. It is hard. It's, for me, I am, you know, it, it causes me a lot of uh, just 
think I'm too emotional for it sometimes. I try to go out as much as I can, but it it can be hard, I think, to stand out there. Um, and so I really applaud everyone who does it very regularly um, to, to sort of be there at, you know, the site of the injustice. Um, and you feel helpless sometimes. You feel like you want to you wanna rush in and say, no, please stop. Um, but you can't really do that unless you want to go to prison, um, which I don't. Uh, but you can do the next best thing, which is being there and giving people resources or, you know, I'm an atheist, so I don't, I don't usually pray, but I know that people just being out there holding a rosary, presumably praying it, you know, if you're not sure about whether or not you want to walk in that clinic, you might stop and talk to them and then you can be there and you can save a life. Um, and, you know, I said, if you are, if you're in DC, reach out to Dr. New, but wherever you are, there's probably an abortion clinic, uh, within driving distance. Um, and you know, we can do this, you know, this is happening in our communities. Mm -hmm. Abortions don't happen on Capitol Hill, you know? They don't happen in the White House. They happen where you live. And I think it's it's important to remember that you can do something about it. You can save a life today, go do it. Um, I think that's all. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dr. New. Oh, thanks, I always enjoy these podcasts a great deal. You've been an excellent host. And oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, goodbye everyone. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Rehumanize podcast. To learn more, check out our website at rehumanizeintl.org or follow us on social media at rehumanizeintl.